reading from Genesis 45. Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep it alive for you, for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked to him. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Jesus called the crowd to him and said to them, listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. And then the disciples approached and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? Jesus answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone, they are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. And then Jesus said, are you still also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Then Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, 
Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. And Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. The Gospel of the Lord. Isn't it great when we get the wrong readings in the bulletin? Sort of reminds you that church is like life. <laughs> um, you know, since you didn't have it in front of you, it's extra worth recapping this story that many of you know, if from no other place than Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Um, this is a story, of course, of Joseph, and, and, and just in a brief recap, you know, Jacob had these 12 children, 11 sons and one daughter, and and among them, he picked one to be his favorite, and he showed it blatantly by buying Joseph either a coat of many colors or long sleeves or maybe both. And Joseph went around telling his brothers that, sure enough, he was the favorite child. So they didn't like him. Big surprise. Uh, the big surprise that comes after that is that the brothers think to kill him. They throw him in a cistern, and eventually they, they sell him as a slave to Egypt. And many of you know this story. Joseph ends up actually having a very prominent role in a household, gets wrongly accused, sent to a dungeon, rises to be top of the dungeon, and then rises to be head of the entire Egyptian agronomy. And particularly in a time of plentitude and famine, Joseph becomes second to Pharaoh. The brothers come to Joseph starving. They're in a land of famine. They don't have granaries like Egypt does. Joseph's now in charge, and they don't recognize him because Egyptians shave their faces and Hebrews don't. So they have no idea that their brother is the one deciding their fate. And in last, or the, ch the chapter before this one, we find out that Joseph has been sort of getting, um, getting ready to possibly serve some revenge to his brothers. In the chapter before, a contingent of 10 brothers. The second favorite brother is not allowed to leave home. Dad doesn't trust the other boys. Um, the 10 come and Joseph treats them harshly, calls them spies. When they buy grain, he puts their money back in their bags and they're afraid they'll be considered thieves. Beyond that, Joseph takes one of the brothers, probably the one he liked the least, and puts him in a dungeon for a year. That'd be his brother Simeon. He tells the brothers, I think you're spies. Don't ever come back to me without the brother you left at home or you'll all die. Things get so bad that the brothers do return with, this, with the new favorite brother, Benjamin. This is the one that they had to plead with their father to send. Their father does not trust them at all, sins. And right before this excerpt we heard today, Joseph has done the same thing. He's put their money back in their bags and he's added insult to injury. He's taken his own silver cup and his divining cup. Joseph was a tea leaf reader, it turns out. And he put that in Benjamin's bag. And he says to the brothers, 
you stole from me. And they say, no, 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 if you find anybody's, you find your stuff in anybody's bag, go ahead and kill them. Of course, they search. It's in Benjamin's bag. And now the brothers are absolutely terrified because this Egyptian stranger is going to kill them. And, and I want to tell you, at this point, there's two ways, I think, there's always more than two, but the two ways that occur to me to read the story are, one, Joseph is testing his brothers. All of this was engineered to figure out who they are and if they've changed. That's the reading I grew up with. I don't like it because I'm not that magnanimous of a person. If I spent two years investing in a plot of revenge that was going to be best served icy cold, I would not have done it that way. No, I would have done it this different way. Again, there's, you can get something out of either reading, but when I read the story, I think Joseph fully intends to kill every single one of his brothers. I think he fully intends to get even with them because after all that's the law of retribution it's tit for tat and they deserve it they're guilty and i think for whatever reason maybe it's seeing his brother benjamin it turns out joseph only had one full brother that's benjamin the other 10 siblings were from different mothers maybe it is when he sees his brother benjamin in that moment of vengeance he chooses compassion instead and is overcome in that moment of calculation when everything is in his favor to get exactly what everybody else truly deserves, he doesn't give them what he deserved, give, give them what they deserve. So maybe he thinks of his poor father. But this story, if read that way, is not a story about testing other people's faith. It's a story of what we do when our own faith is tested and it's a story really then about repentance. It's a story where Joseph can get what he deserves and instead he picks what's better. And if you read it that way, I wonder then if it isn't an, an addendum to what Jesus says, an addendum. So walk with me to the gospel. You know, the, the criticism here is that the disciples apparently are not washing their hands in the ritually prescribed way. Now, you've got to think through this. This is not scientific. They did not have antibacterial soap. Ritual washing was about getting in a basin with water and washing off any, well, ritual impurities, like having touched dead bodies or having touched women or having touched any sort of unclean animal. And, you know, they didn't usually dislodge that water and refill it on a regular basis so washing your hands in that before you eat you could end up worse off than before you started right i mean imagine you're getting ready to have a hamburger and in front of you is the ganges river just to pick one right are you safer not washing the hands in the ganges you follow me here it, this is not about that. This is, of course, is about Jesus saying, look, you've got to think through what's actually life-giving. If we only attend diligently to ritual and we do all ritual things right, but forget the whole reason of the ritual, which was to give greater life to all of God's people, we're doing the thing backward. Because after all, it's not eating alligator or shellfish or rock badger that makes you unclean. It's the way you treat other people and yourself that proves how you already were clean or not. See, we get that lesson, right? That all makes sense to us. We, 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 we know it. Then follows really 
a rather curious story, isn't it? Probably one of my least favorite stories in the Bible, to be honest with you. Of course, depending how we read it. Jesus had just said this thing about how we treat other people reveals our cleanliness. And I think it's worth saying that as with the Joseph story, there's multiple ways to read this. And the way that I was given to read this story is that Jesus is testing this woman's faith. He wants to know whether she is going to continue to persevere when he ignores her. He wants to know whether when sort of compared to a dog, if she's gonna walk away or even say something nasty to him. It's a possible way to read the story. Of course, the takeaway from that would be never give up. But I don't like it. Because I sure hope God doesn't treat us that way. I sure think, hope, that God really already knows whether or not we're faithful. Surely God doesn't need to test us so that God can learn something. Of course, we could say, maybe the test is so the woman, so that she can prove how much she loves her daughter, maybe. I, I would like to invite you to do something a little bit crazy with me, if that's okay. So if this is threatening to you, stop listening, and there's a really beautiful window over there that you should <laughs> contemplate. I, I mean it, I, but I, I think the outcome's very good. The method might bother you. I, 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 I want you to consider this story. This is a Canaanite woman, which means she's not Jewish. She might as well be Wiccan or Muslim or something like that. This is somebody who, from the way they dress, is not mainstream religious. And in the Gospel of Matthew, which is written to Jewish people, this is the first time Jesus interacts with somebody who's not Jewish. And it's a woman. And there's completely unequal power here. And it's a woman who's desperate because her daughter's sick and she's done everything else she can. Jesus is the last resort and she's not even Jewish. She's just heard he can do stuff. And she comes and he ignores her. And then he says this very interesting phrase, doesn't he? It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And you should know that in Greek, there's no, there's no gender-neutral term here. This is dogs feminine. Now, now, we have a word for female dog in English. It's a word that my mother would wash my, soap, my mouth out with soap if I used to this, <laughs> to this day. Even remotely, she'd find a way to do it. I want you to understand that that's the word Jesus uses here. This is not a term of endearment. This is a term of debasement. And why? And how does it work? And what does it have to do with what Jesus just said about the words of our mouths saying where our hearts are? Well, my crazy idea comes from none other than Anglican theologian John Wesley. Maybe you've heard of him before. Um, the method is sort of formed after his death um, around John Wesley's principles, but he was an Anglican priest, and John Wesley said something really interesting. He said there's a very big difference between ignorance and sin. He said ignorance can become sinful if we willfully maintain it. 
But what John Wesley said ultimately that we get with our children is that ignorance is not sinful when you don't know any better. The problem is when we do know better. And I want you to really consider this part with me if you're still listening. If you're not, the glass is really pretty. Um, it is. I, it's, it's gorgeous. I could look at it all day. Um, what if? What if the incarnation, the mystery of the incarnation of God becoming flesh, is serious and right? What if Jesus really became like us in every way? What if he had to learn how to read and write like we do? What if he had to be taught to stay in his bed at night instead of getting in his parents' bed? What if he had to learn those things? What if Jesus learned just like every single one of us? That word we hate to hear, especially in church, that P word. What if he learned prejudice from his family and his religion? What if he learned that when people wear certain kinds of headgear in H-E-B, you're supposed to avoid them? I learned that stuff, didn't you? What if he learned that? And what if this story starts where Jesus is doing exactly what he learned? He's treating this woman the way he was taught to treat people who are not Jewish. And then what if it becomes different from the way we usually do it? It becomes different because at the beginning of the story, Jesus has encountered a label and a prejudice, and in the middle of the story, Jesus encounters a human being. And he, like Joseph, is moved with compassion. What if this story is different because Jesus learns something in this story? What if he actually learns that this person he was taught was wrong and of diminutive value is fully human and fully in need and desperate for something he can actually do? What if he learns that and does something different? Well, if he does that, then in my head it would be a lot like the Joseph story it would be an opportunity for us to think about not only whether what we say reveals our heart, it's not just that. It's what we let come back into us that reveals our heart. How many of you in the last year, I want to be really liberal, you're good people, so maybe only once a year this happens to you. For me, I could probably just go back to yesterday have said something and thought, I can't believe I just said that. Or even better, you're married and your spouse has told you, I can't believe you just said that. (laughs) These opportunities emerge, don't they? I've been in situations where, golly, I sure knew the right thing to say and for some reason, golly, especially with my kids, my father came out of my mouth. <laughs> that ever happened to you? The father I swore that would never come out of my mouth just did. And then I wonder if, like Jesus is saying, maybe one step further we have a choice. Do we put that back in or do we say, 
Not only can I believe that came out, I don't want that to go back in. I don't want that to go back in. I didn't think that was there, and I just said that. So maybe it is. Maybe I've got this opportunity to be compassionate with somebody and with myself and to make a change. Now, I'm not really as naive as I sound. And I've said this before, and I'll probably keep saying it because I'm worried. I'm, I'm worried about where we've been as a world the last couple of weeks. But beyond that, I'm worried about where we've been as a country the last year or more. I, I, I worry about the words of our mouths and the ones that we accept from each other the ones that we accept from our leaders. You've heard me say this before, and it's right. I won't let my daughter talk like the people who are running for Congress and president, because it's wrong. Not because even that they're, I disagree with their politics, their words are hateful and accusatory. We don't raise our children to talk like that, and we shouldn't. And yet we find ourselves talking like that if not with our words, with our instant messaging posts. And it's wrong. That's what Jesus is saying. It is wrong. And it doesn't mean life's over when we do it. The question is, do we let it come back into us so that we do it over and over and over again? We have this time in front of us that is worrisome for so many of us because it's bound up in exactly this bit. Will we let that prejudice come back into us and grow? Or once it's exposed, will we say, God, help us be different? God, I don't want to live like that. And if you followed me this far and you're not looking at the window, and I see most of you aren't, it makes me think that this story is really an opportunity for us to do something amazing. It's an opportunity for us to look at these places of our lives where we might be justified in getting what we want, but instead to do like Jesus, I think, offers us to do in this story and actually learn. Learn to be different. Learn to talk differently because the way we talk to each other is a direct reflection about how we feel about each other. And we don't get to do this just from Jesus. See, that's the interesting thing. We get to do it with him. We get to do it with Jesus. And this is a tough act, but you know, after all, it is back to school week. I wonder if God isn't calling us back to school this week as we think about how we treat people we vociferously disagree with how we treat people who look and act and worship differently from us. And my prayer is, we will go back to school with Jesus.